I miss Blockbuster so much. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, our topic is going to be the disappearance of young men in our society. And for our segment, we are going to be doing a new one called Staff Picks. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this over to one of you two as far as the subject, because I know that this subject and this topic has evolved from a conversation that you two had a few months ago. So uh, go ahead and uh, frame this conversation for us. In our original conversation, it was really interesting. We did come at this topic from the perspective of gender. I think you and I were discussing uh, women in society taking a greater role and uh, rightfully taking their place in public life. And I had said something about, uh, I think that that is an unintended consequence of, um, and a good consequence, but an unintended consequence of young men being removed from social life. And whether that's relationships and families or employment or school, um, especially school, like you said, there's less and less males. And uh, there's a really good TED Talk that I had seen that kind of sparked all this for me by the psychologist Philip Zimbardo in 2011. And he named it the phenomenon, the demise of guys. And that's the name of his TED Talk. And he believes, I think I'm there with him, that addiction to video games and online porn, in addition to other social factors, but especially those two, has created a generation of uh, removed males, like shy, socially awkward, emotionally removed, um, and risk adverse, and that their their pursuits in life kind of peter out or uh, flame out, and um, they have a difficulty, difficult time navigating the complexities of life that demand much of them. So they are growing up in an environment of so much stimuli that doesn't require a whole lot, maybe. And so it's affecting and rewiring their brains on a massive level, millions and millions and millions of people on a massive level, unlike we've had in history before. So the developments in culture can, it's not that it's technology's problem, but the misuse of technology in his mind has caused this disappearance of young men in public life. I'm not an expert, so who am I to argue with a <laughs> psychologist? But I'm going to because I'm a brash, not so young male, and I'm just <laughs> going to go for it. My problem, and this isn't just with this particular issue, but all issues, is that we always want to boil it down to one or two main causes. And I don't think that that's responsible, and especially for this particular issue, things that I've glanced through in reading, and then mostly from my experience, that seems to be the easy scapegoat. Not to say that I'm not against or have some serious reservations about porn and the porn industry and what that is doing, but when these conversations tend to come up and people are put out there as the examples of what this epidemic is, it's usually young white males. If young White males can tend to be the poster boy of this. They also tend to be the subject of study and all that kind of stuff. And I think that part of the problem is, not problem, but part of the issue is, in a good way, is that the pendulum has swung. Not entirely, because we're seeing that right now with the the presidential election, that there's a lot more misogyny and sexism uh, that's out there and that's more blatant. But there's still, at least in the cultural narrative, has been a shift away from the white male being the dominant focus and place in society. Along with that shift, media portrayals of what a young white male is has shifted also from the confident dad that's leading the household into the bumbling idiot that always messes things up and the wife needs to fix things and all that kind of stuff. I think that it's more of just maybe people are retreating to video games and porn more often, but I don't think that's the thing that's causing the problem. I think it's that whenever we have a major shift in society, it takes us a while to find that equilibrium again, to find out where the place is for the people that used to have the main power and the main role in society. And once that starts getting leveled out, I think there's an easy tendency for people to feel lost. I think that, that you're, you're, you're touching on something that's true. Um, 
the flight toward online life and especially with video games and again millions and millions of people could could be caused in part by um a changing social structure in real life right it's not fair or set up the way that it was before and so there's this draw to kind of migrate away from real life which is um changing into a more fair and even-handed uh <laughs> perceived fair and even-handed place like video gaming i think the um there's an article by the on the atlantic in 2016 called the missing men whose author thinks it's all economic you can point to the fact that jobs that were traditionally male dominated have been replaced by completely the whole sectors have been replaced by different types of work so there is this massive shift in economics uh, away from the traditional idea of what manhood looks like but i i would i would like to point out that like uh it's also how we treat young men that affects their their mental health their uh social status and their place in society did you know that young men are medicated for adhd like five times more than than young women wow it's sedatives basically right yeah exactly you're taking these energetic young men and then chemically telling them this is not how you're supposed to be <laughs> you're supposed to be different right we want you to be different and i think that i i think that porn is a big part of it i there's a another ted talk that came out a year after so 2012 by gary wilson that talks about arousal addictions and stuff like that actually the side effects of that mimic like adhd all these different kinds of things that are medicated and people instead of asking the porn question and, and studying that just assume like well, this is medically caused and that, you know, addictions on the internet are the outcome of mental health, not the cause. And the the reason they do that is because it's just, it's a hard topic to study. Uh, there's not a control group since 2009, no control group of young men who don't watch regular internet porn so that it's difficult to study those who do versus those who don't because they can't find enough who don't to be able to study these things concretely. So most of this stuff is like, self-reported experiences of why men are kind of retreating or why they're having these difficulties. And um, there's obviously a lot of different factors that go into it, but I do believe video games and online addictions cause a big part, a big chunk of the problem, the misuse of technology. I'm not so convinced. That's really interesting. And I'm not so convinced either because I think because this so crosses, um, racial and economic borders i don't know like uh i do we presume that everybody can access porn and video games in america yeah yeah i suppose so okay maybe that's a dumb question Are you <laughs> maybe that's a dumb question yeah absolutely and more yeah. than there's ever been like i said in the history that this could be framed uh as if it's a great experiment right i mean uh people used to grow up with uh, a certain amount of sexual partners and that has dramatically changed and not that, you know, porn and sex are very different. And this this whole conversation could just be about porn the whole time. We were debating about which direction no, we to should, go. No, we should do an episode just on porn we because really there's should. so much to talk about. I think but that I, We should, especially that since does. this particular issue has less to do with porn than you think it does. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I think people turn... I'm still, with Jeff. Still, I think people I, turn to hold it. Hold on. All, all I'm saying is that the new context for developing adolescent male brains, which includes... Uh, an extreme exposure to online pornography and novelty of arousal and things like that has changed relationships between males and females in our society. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I don't think that that's even the primary reason for that change in the dynamic between men and women. So here's my question, though. I, I agree with Jeff in the sense that I think that porn addiction is probably an outcome of other things not sure. being right or ideal, um, such as having meaningful occupation. And I think right. that it, you know, it, it, I agree with you. The rewiring of your brain is, is no small thing. And that certainly can be a huge factor in this, but I think that that is step like B or C that comes after, you know, a sense of lost place in society and these other economic factors we've been talking about. Unless you're like 12 years old. As a youth pastor, so if it starts like, early, then it yes. it's enough to get derail you for a lifetime. Absolutely, I guess. yeah, I think so. And I think it's 
I don't think it's a small thing. I don't think it's a small percentage. I think it's a big one. Yeah, I think it, it can really, honestly, especially in kids, like foster kind of sociopathic uh, view of other people that other people exist for your gratification, especially women. Right. Many girls, many girls report like their first sexual encounters are not kissing or relationships or cuddling or holding hands or hugging, but like hardcore stuff that is being acted out because people are like exposed to so much at such a young age. And so it's changing relationships com- completely. Yeah. But that is also a factor, like not to sound like I'm <laughs> you know, <laughs> part of the uh, Trump campaign right now, but a lot of it has to do with the breakdown of the family and not in the traditional sense, in the sense right. that it's not men and women getting married and having nuclear families, but in the sense that the adolescent boys that are going to be affected by that the most as far as the constant barrage of pornography coming to their head are the ones that are unsupervised that have less community around them because we've created an economic system that punishes single mothers or even single fathers who have to work so much to even just provide basic like needs that they're missing the social need and then there's not a lot of programs and school for sure doesn't always accomplish that in creating a diverse community like As a youth pastor, I saw these same things, and I would see one student, one young male student and another young male student come from very similar backgrounds and have very similar tragedies happen to them. And I found, in my experience at least, the ones that had the most extended family, whether that's blood family or community or the ones that whose parent put them in church to be involved in relationship, they thrived despite the circumstances and the ones that were continually isolated because of those circumstances were the ones that did a problem. So I think that you're right. In a petri dish of places where that that child is more and more isolated, then yeah, you're right. That's going to have profound effect. But there are so many other things that we can do and that are available out there. None of us are completely um, free from the consequences of what our actions we take, but we can ease those things by surrounding ourselves with family and help us guide through those consequences as opposed to just continue to fall further into them. I'm not saying we have to like end video games and porn and all this other stuff. I, I completely agree. I think that the the screen time versus face-to-face time, what you're talking about is having adults who care about the adolescent and who spend quality time with them one-on-one or in a group. And like the amount of hours that are spent by by yourself in front of a screen being reprogrammed is greater than 40 hours a week. And the amount of time you spent with like, um, especially men, some meaningful male presence at all in your life. Not that, again, I'm not arguing for a traditional family or anything like that. Just some sort of role model that you feel like, you know, this person's like me or I want to be like them. Um, that's less than half an hour a week. Right. And it's like the the reprogramming is a plays a big role in creating and, and so yeah, I think you're right. I'm not saying we have to end this or that. And there are creative ways to solve this. I don't have any answers. I just think that there is a strong connection between these things, not just a correlation. Yeah. I mean, I think the link that we're discussing is addiction, actually. Mm-hmm. Either addiction to porn and or video games and or other types of addiction. Which are both that- arousal. Right. That are directly linked or or thrill seeking or yeah. violence that are directly linked to isolation. And I think we're onto something here. Um, I want to read a quote really quick because I, you know, earlier we were talking about job availability. And it is true that among youth, there are less and less jobs available because as we're losing jobs, not only to outsourcing overseas, but also just to technology, technological advances that are, you know, eliminating factory jobs, low, low level jobs and things like that. So people who had those jobs are now looking for, you know, your food service, like uh, minimum wage jobs and the youth are getting kicked out of the job market, basically. So um, like 60 something percent in a lot of states of, of teenagers would like to work and can't. So you're doing a great thing if you're providing jobs for teenagers in particular. So they're not sitting at home bored or feeling isolated or they can make an income, especially for teenagers who come from distant disenfranchised communities where they have no other way to make an income and their parents can't make an income. So anyway, all that to say, um, the thing is, because the whole not able to find a control group of people uh, who aren't addicted to porn and things like things like porn and video games. Like the thing is, it really actually doesn't matter how busy people are. I mean, I'm sure that has a. It seems like these this data is telling us. I'm sure that has a factor that the more the more free time you have, the more likely you are you are to get in trouble as a young male of any any racial or economic strata. But what I'm trying to say is like my first thought is that 
is that that kids are just bored, you know, but this actually crosses like even kids who have who are in after school programs or who have employment or who have meaningful um, occupation are still finding that they're addicted, isolated and disappearing, you know, so it's like unable to maintain those jobs. And those social status, those social elements and relationships. And not going to college. Like it's, this is a significant, this is a significant thing. I mean, so the quote in this article that I thought was really interesting was, uh, a colleague of mine once precipitately said, the black family has survived the civil war, reconstruction, Jim Crow laws and lynching, but could not survive the great society. And this author goes on to say, males in particular have been neutered by the entitlement society and the welfare state. So he's talking, this, this author is making a case for, for the fact that society has become so soft that uh, they're neutering males. And I thought that was like an interesting argument. I completely disagree with it, but it's an interesting argument to make that, you know, like if we made things harder for people, they would go out and work. And it's repeated all over the place. Yeah. But that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't account though for the fact that jobs are disappearing. So that's just kind of what I wanted to hit on for a little bit. Um, I think that definitely has a huge factor in this that, that jobs are disappearing and and the more like women are encouraged to get out to the, into the workforce, like they really are competing directly with, with men who have not been encouraged to be as, you know, scrappy or whatever. There's not as many programs, I guess, for men. Um, should, I don't know, should there be, should there be men, male incentives to get, get into the workforce and scholarships because you're male? And, I mean, a lot <laughs> of people think if that. If this trend continues, it's going to have to happen. And that's really sad. Like, I think that, in 20 years, if, if there's no like change or shift in our society, it will become that way. It's interesting. I mean, like, has patriarchy been dismantled then? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> I think I think only in some small ways, maybe, and only accidentally. I think there are people who are doing good work and um, empowering women. But I think the social factors that have contributed to men disappearing from the workforce literally and from colleges and from families and, and society has been accidental. I don't know. It, the, the way this has been positioned to me and in a lot of the stuff I've been reading is that like men are intentional withdrawing. This is the most interesting point to me that this is a purposeful thing. It's like a punishing. It's like, oh, society's going to take away my role as a provider or my my gender roles. Society's going to, you know, uh, make opportunities for other people. Well, I'm just going to go in my closet <laughs> no. and play video games. No, <laughs> no seriously, no. that's I, well, I, don't know I think there's some truth I, to that I, because I, you're looking I at the idea a of because as you're a man. Sorry. Well, you're but looking at the idea as as Alan, both of us being both of us being white males, like we have, we have the privilege and the opportunity to withdraw ourselves from society as opposed to being marginalized by it. And I think that that's I think that's that's well worth exploring as far as the reasons why a lot of this is happening. Sure, but I don't think it's a like I'm going to punish society. I think it's more like maybe that's an unconscious thing for some people, and maybe there are people who are. That's their explicit goal, but I don't think so. I think a lot of it is accidental. You know, it's it's a response to an environment and not like a, I'm going to purposefully withdraw from society because it's not fair for me. But there is resentment you know? there that because that comes no, out. I mean, you're talking is. about isolating into the, the world of yes. online or video games. The worst things that we are seeing as far as like words and rhetoric are coming from gamer right. and online Men's trolls that are that are putting that yeah. stuff that they've used to withdraw. So I think it's it's very deadly. Like you don't have that with any other group that's been slowly pushed out of the top because usually you know we're, we weren't we were never marginalized. We were never pushed to the side. So this is and we're not even really being pushed to the side. We're just trying to make room for everyone and we're perceiving that as being pushed to the side and we're retreating and lashing out. Yeah, there is a why bother attitude. Or maybe there's a real problem. It it could be that because everything's being equalized, uh, that has spawned this the men's right advocates and the online vitriol. But the whole concept of neutered male Americans, I think, is interesting. I think I agree with that to some extent. Young young males are medicated, right? Like five to one for ADHD and things like that. I think there is a real sense that the energy of of young men, because it has caused problems in the past, or maybe we don't know what to do with it, is like chemically and socially punished for for being what it is instead of providing healthy um, 
outlets for it. You know, the, 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 yeah. work, the workforce changing, everything changing. And so, yeah, there is, I think it has to be said, named and, sh- and even shamed. There is a group of huge group of men online who are doing terrible things. And it could be because they feel repressed. But I think part of what they're feeling is true, is that they are repressed by society and they there, don't have healthy outlets. There seems to be this attitude of um, uh, why bother? Like, I'm not wanted here. It, it seems like that these, like, the medication and the lack of uh, the decreasing amounts of social power is kind of accumulating in, like, maybe people are interpreting, men are interpreting that as a message of, like, I'm not actually wanted here, so why bother go to college? Because it's not like, okay, so it's not like, I, I want to be clear about these numbers, the college stuff. It's not like colleges are just accepting less males because of thing because of policies like something like affirmative action that would privilege females less males are applying they're not applying they're not even they're not wanting to go like in increasing numbers they're like dropping off you know so it, yeah it honestly is like a why bother kind of um utter passivity that to me like seems very like that seems like it's sending a message you know like that seems like a cry for help to me i don't know you you have to take that in addition with the the social anxiety explanation though. It's not just the why bother. It's also the I, I do believe like there's a sense of I don't know how to do this. Like the the amount of students that I it, interacted with in my ministry who were just scared, right? Like scared of college, scared of even social interactions, being in a group, not knowing what to do. Like that's getting worse and worse and worse. So I think there's a real fear for some people and that's why they withdraw and that's why they don't apply, you know? Like they don't know how to have relationships. We haven't created a space for process in our society. All change is coming at us really quick by change makers, as rightfully so. Like I think that's the, I don't know, the, the way of society is that people stand up and change happens, but there has to be that other part of society that is not at least it's not a vocal voice in our country because of the way that we structure our media and our information of those people that are like, okay, now we need to be guided into this change and there needs to be like incremental steps because we're not just talking about like change of systems and stuff like that. We're we're literally talking about shifting people's consciousness into a new way to look at the world. And you can't do that with putting down a law or you can't do that with shutting down this organization and raising up this organization like that is that is real process work that we don't leave room for i i think that's really right and in in my estimation i think a lot of damage is done by people with like kind of feeling empowered with half-baked information and not really understanding what it means to fully dismantle and start something new like if you it, for, I've seen a lot of feminists do this and I'm I'm completely a feminist and I identify as a feminist but I've seen a lot of feminists really w- seem like they want to enact a matriarchy and just complain about sausage fests and get really angry and and want to take back the power but that's completely missing the point of feminism the point of feminism is is to actually make space for everybody and to share equally it's not to turn the tables and if you see it as just taking back power or shifting power you're not actually creating a new society and you're just perpetuating the problem so i think with all these conversations we had around race gender economics if we don't actually really understand what it means to restructure in like a radical way we're just going to keep spinning our wheels in the mud here and someone else is just going to get hurt like we see this over and over and over and over again i can't help but think that i'm thinking about these things from like a individual to a systemic way everything you're saying is fantastic and it's approaching it from a systemic down to the individual I see how the individual is affected by all of that. The young men who are balancing, like I said earlier, the social anxiety of not knowing what to do with these scary places that are very much against who they are and what they represent. And and this is true. If you watch the videos of people in colleges and universities and stuff, there's a real sense of like, we are going to hunt down the people who who are misogynistic and not not that they don't we have dialogue to, about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not that we have to create a safe space for these fragile males. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. That's not what I think. But I think that there's this real sense that people who are ignorant of how to do that, how to be in community anyway, why would they apply to college when they see all these videos of of society changing and critiquing kind of what they perceive themselves to be and not having a space there. You know what I mean? I, so I, think it's I was going to go the other complex. direction with that, actually. It's so <laughs> complex. I was going to go the other direction. Think about all of the 
portrayals of frats in media and all the hazing and all the, you know, um, gay bashing and whatever. Like what what if a kid absolutely, you know, what if a male student goes to college and can't take the social pressures to conform to such stringent gender roles that that's completely intimidating? I mean, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to walk into that environment and try to fit in. And, you know, when and, and so many campuses are like that, they reify these horrifying, you know, gender roles. I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that has something to do with it. It's well, our, hard to say. Our rhetoric as a country is epidemic rhetoric. Like everything is this is the end. This is something that needs to be solved. And people who are connected to whatever mode or people group that feel that that quote unquote need to be solved or need to be taken care of, then you're putting them in a mode of consciousness to react. Like you're creating a space for them and you're creating a mindset for them and you're creating a world for them with your rhetoric that says you need to fight back because we are against you and you have to be against them. The the fundamental way in which we communicate issues in our country is combative and it pits people against people, even ones that aren't necessarily involved because that's all they hear about that rhetoric and it shifts the way that they think about the world. And there's no way you can solve any problem with that. You're you're throwing people into fight or flight. So do you think there is something to that of like young men are interpreting like well, you're not wanted here. There's no space for you. And oh, if yeah. you try to ask for space, then you're automatically in the wrong. Yeah. Because you know? I think that you're talking about whether you're on the liberal side or the conservative side. They're still fundamentalists. They're still creating the same dynamic, even though they have opposing views. Yeah, that's true. I agree with that. So so what do you what do you think is the solution then? I mean, I. I think it seems like a lot of what we're talking about today is like just the absolute and prime necessity of community and mentorship, because how how yeah. else do kids learn and young people learn what proper social mores are, what ideal human interactions are, how to comport yourself, all of those soft skills that you don't learn in school necessarily. Like you learn them from other people. And if you don't learn them from your parents and your family or you don't have a home community, like literally, how are you supposed to learn those things? I don't know. Online. I think it has to start <laughs> online. Yeah, that's what happens. I'm so can you, we talked about vitriol being online, but like that is the great parent. I I spend time online. I know online communities. I've played video games. I've I've seen seriously all of it, and I've even studied it in my uh, master's degree with several different papers. And like I think that it's worth thinking about on a systemic level except for the fact that I have no good answers. And I think that it's like a boat. You can't steer it. It's, it's going in such a direction that it's almost like it's inevitable. I like don't how, think so. I, <laughs> I, like you're, you keep saying like the word online. And this, I don't, this is not just you, Alan, but the, the rhetoric is online, online. And we're all we're doing is we're continuing that thing of here's a good place and here's a bad place. Even though we don't mean to do that. And even I didn't though we're say thinking, bad. No, no. I'm not saying that you I said bad, but I'm saying that let me finish. I'm saying that the rhetoric behind when we just throw out the word the internet or online, it is always in a negative connotation. And the more that we use that kind of rhetoric, we perpetuate it in a certain way that even though we don't mean it bad, that's what we've created. And I think that it's about self-editing and not using like online as a as a idiom or whatever for here's where all the bad stuff's coming from, but it's like being specific and naming the things specifically online that are doing that and directing people. So I think it's filtering. Like I have to do it myself. I have to choose which news sources get pushed to my phone. I have to choose which ones do that because I'm just as susceptible as anyone. So I think it's making our voice known by choosing the voices to listen to. Yeah. I I think the the internet is a fantastic thing. I could have said that. Like, you know, I think Facebook, I've said it before on the show, it's like the greatest invention in the history of the world. It's connecting people. I think it's an equalizer and it's making our globe a better place in so many different ways. So I don't want to just say it's a negative thing or whatever. what I mean is it's impossible to talk about this topic without dedicating a huge portion to the fact that people have migrated from regular life, as in public life, relational life, uh, face-to-face stuff, families, schools, homework, communities, stuff like that, have migrated completely away from that to huge communities of of gaming and like we're talking millions and millions of people or if you look at reddit and forums of uh sharing information and discussing things and trolling and all that kind of stuff it has created a community that has its own rules and a sense of belonging and i think that people feel much much more empowered being there because they don't have to worry about um how they come across or the social anxiety that they know because there's an anonymity 
I'm not saying that it's the cause of all the ills in society or that it's wrong. I think that like that to have this conversation without making that even a main focus is misguided. It's ignoring something that's so huge because maybe we don't experience it or are not a part of it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. But first of all, I wasn't asking for you to clarify. I wasn't criticizing you. I was criticizing that that's the rhetoric that we've used in society. And can't you see that how when when you talk about that, how it would be easy for someone to feel as though if they're a part of that community, that they are also inept in other relationships when they are not. Sure. It's it's lumping. Maybe I should say I'm a part of that community more than either of you are and more than like yeah, I'm a definitely not a Reddit are. demographic. <laughs> I, I I play video games. I've been um, a part of that through its evolution, through the days of, hey, let's bring all, all our computers over to each other's house and hook them up on a little LAN system and, and um, be face-to-face while we're playing video games to this like individualized, uh, disconnected, kind of different thing that has happened over the last 10 years or so. Um, and, and I think that and and we're talking about millions and millions of people. This is not a, a small percentage. I know I keep saying that, but it's almost painted as if video games are such a small percentage or such a small part of life. There are kids who spend just enormous amounts of time on it. And so I do think one of the answers is limiting screen time for developing adolescents. And the American, yeah, who's going to do that, Alan? The American are we Academy of Psychology, that? Or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that please, is. Please don't smoke. just regulate people like that. I mean, as a true blue liberal, like you Hold have on. to give people say, something better. I agree, but 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 we say like we won't sell cigarettes to kids, right? And like seeing a kid smoke, like that would be wrong. That would be, I think it's neglect and abuse to just like give technology to really really young kids and leave them unsupervised. Personally, I do think that that's what that is, and I think we're we're seeing the the consequences of that. It's it's changing like, but it's just as bad, if not worse, for people who are corporations who are taking advantage of that fact. Like, there's that's what I'm saying is that that it, it's such a layered issue. Like, even if that was the the main issue, like you have so many people to talk to, you can't legislate parents, and you can't like the only thing you can do is help change the stuff that's out there, and that's that's I, I think that's there people be... taking responsibility for their companies and their media and all that right. kind of stuff. I think there should be better legislation on porn so it's more difficult for younger kids to access the really hardcore stuff. Personally. There absolutely should be. Maybe there I absolutely am, should be. <laughs> I am like technically liberal. I don't know if I'm a true blooded liberal. I don't I haven't figured all that out yet, but like I'm not saying like porn is wrong and that we should like put sanctions on people in the porn industry and we should take away their jobs and do all this other stuff. Um I think that's up to personal interpretation for sure. Even small things like Creating different uh, instead of dot com, it's you know dot xxx and stuff like that. That stuff gets shot down routinely, and there's there's this freedom idea, of speech, right? Alan. Freedom of speech, <laughs> and at the expense of uh, an entire brains. generation, yeah, an entire yeah. generation's brains. No, I see it as right. one we more have no part idea what of the ramifications right. are. I see it as yet. one more part of the nasty machine that we belong to. Maybe Jeff's onto something. It's the corporations that make money off of that of the rewiring of the brains and like we're not a humane society, something that like actually cherishes humanity and the human, we cherish profits and profitability and whatever. And so it's it's such a dangerous world to be growing up in and it's obviously affecting lots of people. So, so what do you think for young men is like the thing that we is the most pressing thing we should be thinking about? Like, I think as guys, you guys need to be the ones to, you know, like I, right. I feel like I have less of a platform to speak here. Okay, well, I just personally, I think people should keep it in their mind that there's a real possibility that there are addictions that are present that are causing some of the the things that you think need to be medicated or whatever. I think you at least need to ask the question when talking with your doctor about internet arousal addiction and like think about if you're a young man who's experiencing all these different things, like actually maybe approach w- what you're doing as an addiction. And I'm not shaming you or whatever, but if you want, um, there's whole online communities of people who have moved away from video gaming or moved away from porn and they like make these pledges and they describe all of the, the energy and like the, um, the interpersonal relationships that completely change when they move away from, from these things. And so like, maybe if you're a young man, give it a try. Or if you're a parent, consider that being a possibility, but like, 
I even hesitate to say that because of the amount of shame that has been <laughs> heaped on young people and that surrounds this whole conversation. So it's, in some ways, it's even hard to talk about because I think it's done so horribly. I almost don't want to give any quote unquote answers to at least that portion of the the conversation. I think this is a good example for us that <laughs> uh, that the the white male demographic is not as uniform in their thought <laughs> because I think that if we frame addiction, especially porn addiction or sexual addiction or arousal addiction to an adolescent who is in the midst of like where everything feels like an addiction, I think that would do more damage in the long run than anything else because there there's no framework for sexuality anyway. They're discovering it. And I don't think that throwing that word or treating them like that in the midst of discovering your sexuality in adolescence in general is is a good thing at all. I think that the... It's a good point. Yeah. I but think there's a huge difference between sexuality and what technology has done to people. Like, True, but you can't very put sexual addiction between on adolescents. Healthy sexuality and sexual sexuality. I'm not saying sexual No, addiction. but you said, you said you like arousal ask their addiction. doctor about addiction and arousal addiction, like using that word in, in, in that mode of life. I don't, I just, I don't know about that. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, without going into like the details, like I understand that male sexuality, like you don't really even need a stimulus at all. It's just arousal happens. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, well, there's so, something called the Coolidge. If you want to get into details, there's something called the Coolidge effect. And what happens is novelty perpetuates arousals uh, immediately and repetitively. So there are people who spend hours and hours and hours with, you know, multiple things going on all at once. Like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And I think that that's like, that yeah. is becoming a pervasive thing for younger people. And so at that again, level, we should, again, we should, uh, but I think we should, we should do an episode. Try to distinguish. We need to do an episode. Right? But we, <laughs> we try to distinguish episode. again, uh, again, like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like sexuality, great, unhealthy sexuality, terrible for you. Like how do we teach people the difference? Same thing for video games, recreational video games. Great. Do it. You have free time. That's why we work. And that's why we exist is to have fun, you know? And where's the line between what's healthy and unhealthy? And I think that's what we've lost sight of collectively. I think when it damages your ability to work and your ability to go to school and your ability to have like real life relationships, that's when it's a problem. But everything when you're an adolescent prevents you from <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying is that all okay, those things are true. In your 20s and 30s too. Okay. You in know, your 20s and 30s, just... I get that. But I'm saying like in your teens, like uh, <laughs> I stubbed my foot or, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff that would have all reactions are equal even like that's the whole like the mantra of parents right oh you'll that's not that big of a deal but for them but it don't is. you think they're at risk for developing a lifelong addiction more I, so no than- i i do i do believe that they're at risk of that but i don't think like treating them like addicts is the solution i think the solution for me is it starts with parenting like i know that this right. is it is a difficult transition for parents to move from control and boundaries and doing this into slowly letting go of that control and beginning to allow that that student or that child to begin to experience their own world and then learn to not put rules on them, but help guide them as they suffer the consequences of their own actions and really begin to develop their own agency. Okay. But what happens though, when that kid is starting to flex their own agency, little tiny muscles and they, with the click of a button can find horribly scarring, traumatic, Re- brain rewiring content right. on the World Wide Web. Like, there's no kid that ha- there there's no kid that has the ability to just like block that out and say that's not going to affect me because they can make rational decisions. You know, like agreed. That, that's that, going to have an effect. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that that I'm, I'm not saying that those instances are going to happen. But it's that transition from eventually they're going to be out on their own, and have to make their decisions, and then there's that as they're a child, they need structure and they need rules and they need to be you know for lack of a better word, controlled. There's that middle ground of how do you balance control and agency? So when they are exposed to that particular thing, if you have already established that all you're about is control, then they're not going to come talk to you and you've closed all lines of communication. And even something simple, if you won't talk to your adolescent child about about their favorite video game because you think it's trivial and you want to learn the deep stuff, then you've all you've cut off any kind of conversation to have when they get to that deep stuff like it is it is about not outsourcing the discipline of your children when i was a youth pastor 
parents would, when there was a problem, the first thing they do is take them to the youth pastor. He'll solve it. Instead of just having conversation and working in it, is we, we, we outsource. We outsource to this psychologist or we outsource to this event or we outsource to this pastor or this group instead of being one part of a group that we've already been involved in where more lives and people are speaking into our student and our kids and not something that we're just tre- – we're creating an environment. What and I think we're, you're we're, saying is awesome. And I think you've talked a little bit about that on the um, adolescence episode we had in the past. But like, I just want to like highlight what you just said and then kind of blow it up for uh, men in their 20s and 30s as well. You said creating like a, a community where different people are speaking into their lives. I think that's important also for uh, the men who have been removed from society or are socially um, – I don't know how to even describe it, who are socially socially cut off. off. Yeah. Who have a difficult time maintaining relationships or, or jobs. It's important to create for yourself um, and with each other, like spaces where they can interact with women that are welcoming. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where they can interact with other people that are, are healthy. And I just don't know what that looks like. I know what it looks like from a youth group or a parent perspective, but when they get older, like how, how do we do that? You know, to to me, this begs the question of of, of encouraging a different uh, definition of manhood and masculinity that ha- that includes and incorporates vul- um, emotional vulnerability, right? Because if you can be vulnerable talking about your struggles and your needs and your wants and your disappointments, and that's not seen as weakness, um, you know that, that it, it seems like that will help people feel connected and feel community. I don't, I don't know like, if that's what men want or <laughs> know that they need or something like that. I agree you know, with that. Talking about your <laughs> – and, and I'm, I'm a very like uh, nurturing and want to talk about all my problems kind of male. So maybe I'm not exactly like the quote-unquote normal male. But I think that for a lot of them, it's more healthy demonstrations of power or ability or competence. Well, we, we've talked before about how, how masculinity in our country as is so intertwined with a sense of stoicism and, and not needing anything, you know, but if someone's isolated and lonely and addicted, like it's, it, then it means that it's going against your very quote unquote nature as a male to ask for help. Yeah. So maybe that's why people are disappearing. That maybe that, I mean, men that maybe that's why men are disappearing is because they find themselves in these situations where they've been kind of gobbled up by these, nasty social structures and they can't ask for help they're like they're not allowed to or they lose their their maleness what what's the so so what's the um consequence of of all of this is it a bad thing that men are disappearing like (laughs) why would it be a good thing no what but is it something that should be stopped like what what happens if it's not you know it's always a bad thing when any form any group or any section of society feels that they need to retreat and I think that depending upon what their position was before they retreat, they react in different ways. So I think we just do a crappy job of creating space for people. Did you did you hear about our generation has less sex than like the generations before us? Did I read you know that, that, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, maybe the technological aspect, uh, uh, maybe people have more to do because the internet's more interesting and they maybe. don't need to have as much sex because they're not as bored. I don't know. I think there's less interpersonal skills. I think that's part of the reason. It's interesting, though, if you look at Japan, there's been a lot of studies come out lately. They say the Japanese um, procreation rate is like falling off a cliff because young people are not being intimate with each other. Like 50 percent or something like that of Japanese young males are not sexually active. They don't feel comfortable. They have extreme sexual and social anxiety. Um, And that's a country that has been like really engrossed in tech in tech culture, like really, really, really engrossed in video game culture. I've heard that also has to do with economics. Like they're not. They, they're not in a place to start a family or um, do some of the things that they want to do financially. And so they make so I've heard that like explanation before, but I think it, tech is a massive part of it for sure. Well, yeah, I, I don't think it accounts for the abstinence, though, because this is a large, it, it's not a culture where um, it's re- religiously wrong to have intimate relations. Like, it's not just that people aren't having kids. It's that, like, they're not having sex at all. Um, and actually, the sale of, like, things like sex dolls have has, like, rapid – there's, like, factories go opening all over the world. But in particular, like, in, in countries like Japan, um, where they're manufacturing sex dolls because people can't be intimate – a lot of times it has to do with social anxiety. They can't be intimate with 
the other sex, um, mostly men can't, not being able to be intimate with women. So I, I think there is a massive correlation, a huge connection between rising. So this is where I'm, en- I, I'm ending at, like for me, where I'm arriving at is social anxiety is directly correlated with the disappearance, especially of men and young men in society. That's got to be what it is for me. But if men are experiencing this intense, like crippling social anxiety, why aren't they asking for help? And I'm saying they can't ask for help because their gender role, their gender, their concept of gender does not allow yeah. them to. Or to recognize or, or that that's what they to. have. Or to recognize Women ask they, for help right. all the time. But I think like, that we're men allowed are, to. I think men are even ignorant of the fact that that's what they're experiencing. If you look at um, all the people who were surveyed, does you know, isolation and porn and all this stuff affect your real life relationships with, with women. All of them say no, you know, like that's the massive self-reported of course, thing. Because <laughs> the masculinity, the, the masculine standard is to be powerful, you know, and not admit that you have issues. So. And I don't think it's like someone's at home saying I have a problem and I can't tell anyone. I think there are some people that are at that point, but oh, I, think, I think, but that's I think a for, huge portion, but I think the majority are ignorant of the fact that, because it's something they've, you know, they've they've never known any different. You know, they they didn't grow up without technology and forced to have all of these really deep, lasting, meaningful social relationships. You know, they they grew up in individualized and disconnected. So I think there's an ignorance. To me, it's ignorance. It's um, not knowing what they're missing. You know. No, I don't think. It, I mean, I think most people are evolutionarily programmed to need and want and desire and actually be capable of community. I think there's factors preventing that from happening. And and what and what I'm thinking about in the universities is that the the socially awkward male has is punished more or is has so much more to lose at such a smaller um infraction than women do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Recently, I had a friend of mine saying, you know, I, I he, he, it was a male saying, I, I'm really, I commiserate with, you know, women who've gone through terrible things like campus rape. And, you know, that's horrible. But men go through horrible things too, and nobody talks about it. And I'm like, well, it's your job to talk about it. Like, who else is going to talk about it? I can't talk about it for you. Like, unless someone speaks out and breaks that quote unquote gender norm of um, men being, you know, that, that saying there's an issue or having problems is, is, um, is is weak somehow like how is this going to change yeah I, I don't think that that that's the issue though for most men in their own minds that might be true but if they were to self-report that's not the problem that they're facing and i don't think so that there's is? a majority issue for <laughs> any group to say that the majority <laughs> of this group has this i think it's varied and fairly even across the board and you can't you can't form, the fact you can't that, put it in a formula except the fact that they are disappearing that's the one thing that can be studied and right. known is that they're disappearing from public institutions. Yeah. And, and, and the tendency life. is to blame, you know, uh, welfare or to blame minorities or to blame women. Like that's the tendency. But I think. Yeah, that's. And and I, I don't agree with any of that interpretation. <laughs> personally. <Yeah. laughs> I guess I guess to me the, is how do we know that they're disappearing? Like how do we what, what's the proportion of them disappearing and. Uh, this is just society making room for more people, and any one group that oh, held the majority place, they're they're dwindling. There's tons it's, no, of there's evidence. Way more women than men enrolling in college. Like that. That's a big. That's a big indicator. Like like like, how, like not the interest, equal, but like way yeah. different. You know, like there's yeah. Like okay, there's so a here, for example, for example, these are figures from the National Bureau of Economic Research, and Alan commented off air that it's significant that. Um, that the graduation rate, because the grad, you know, if men drop out because they can't um, hack the social environment or whatever is happening, um, these are graduating rate from the National Bureau of Economic Research website. In 1960, there were 1.6 males for every graduating female from a four-year college, and um, in 2003, there were 1.35 females for every male. So that gender uh, gap has like flipped on its head. Mm-hmm. That's that was 2003. So this is um you know, this is much later and that that number's even increased. So it's like it, for the most part women are going to school and graduating and getting a lot more degrees than men are now. So it doesn't explain for just um making things even and making sure women right. have like 50%. It's that like actually women are applying in in droves more numbers than men are applying. And that gap is projected to get worse and worse. It's not just a pendulum swing. It's like it's pointing, a landslide. pointing to a phenomenon 
Yeah. Of, but that's, that's other, that's one small part, but there's a lot of other factors that have been studied that there's kind of a general consensus that it's at least happening. Yeah. I mean, the labor force is changing too. And I was just reading a really interesting um, Harvard business business review article about how um, the old military style of hierarchy in the work in the workplace. And a lot of businesses is uh, being supplanted by a nurturing model where people are considered families or team members instead of um, a military like, you know, one um, subordinate to uh, higher up and, and that you just have this chain of command. Like that, that model's disappearing, and so so it it's might requiring be the social acuity. And if if there's a yeah. if there's a deepening gap between men and women when it comes to the ability to form social bonds, like <laughs> it'll be more and more of a problem. Well, uh, it might just be the case that women are socialized to thrive better in a nurturing business environment and a team centered business environment than men have been socialized to do, or men are finding that they don't have as good of hopes of job prospects getting out of college. And so therefore they're not applying to college because they think they won't be able to get a job afterwards. There might be more scholarships for women. I mean, it's, it's really, really a hard thing to parse, but that's why the puzzlement of this question, if you have any ideas for us listeners, please send them in. Cause we don't really know how, how, you know, besides the problems that we've outlined of like the social issues and social attachment issues. Um, Absolutely. And the um, healthy. Yeah. So go ahead and add your voice to this particular conversation. You can comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 84. And also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links to the things we've been talking about and a complete list of all the ways to contact us, follow us, like us. Uh, that's irenacast.com slash 84. Uh, on the other side of the music, we are going to be doing a brand new segment called Staff Picks. So I was in a bookstore the other day and I was brought back to my, uh, my youth, my adolescence, my young manhood when I would go into the video store and like the first display that you saw would be the staff picks. So the people that worked at that, at at this bookstore that I was at, the people worked there, they picked their picks. Like the people that worked there, these are the books we're reading or the video store. These are the videos that we're watching. So we figured it would be a good idea as the staff of Irenicast to give our picks recommendations of things that we think are awesome that we think you might enjoy and possibly want to check out. I miss Blockbuster so much. <laughs> I Producing forgot about the VHS aisles. I like I like looking at the the like kind of weird, creepy people behind the counter who have their really cool artsy pics on the sidewall. I miss that. Now they're just online. Where'd they go? Okay, so <laughs> we have Movies, books, or music, or whatever. You could recommend anything. Mona, right. Anything. Anything? Just anything. Because we are, a, we are a podcast about faith and culture, so we have a broad spectrum of things. And we are layered people that have many interests outside of media and things to consume. Policy, both foreign and domestic. We didn't really talk but, about uh, faith at all today. Yeah, we did. What? what? Not really. <laughs> I always feel a little guilty. Not when me. we do when we don't do I that. I thought it was more about faith about- than anything else we talked about, just because we didn't talk about theology. We talked about real people, real life, Ooh, how the society is affecting look us <laughs> and our faith influences the way that we view those things. That's why we say faith Man, and culture. That's a good we, point. I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. People are gonna disagree on culture. every damn go. thing on this episode. <laughs> I'm still yeah, dualistic, you guys. So so what what would you recommend? Dualistic Me? Mona. I, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Um, I first, I'm going to lead up to my really, really good recommendation, which is a band that a friend recently introduced me to that I'm super excited about. But first, my first recommendation has nothing to do with media. I just asked permission before we started recording to do a food thing instead because I'm excited about this. <laughs> and honestly, Here. I haven't like watched any movies or anything lately. I've just been working a lot. So um, I have to rem- recommend if y'all have a Trader Joe's near your house, go to Trader Joe's and find these like ginger snap cookies that are gluten free. They're like very crispy and they have chunks of ginger inside them and they are flipping amazing. So that sounds I recommend so good right now. doing that. Mm. And ginger ginger calms your stomach and your nerves too. So if you're Which nervous. Which I generally need. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to yeah. give all of mine right now. I'm going to break the rules. 
No, there's no rule. I, I figured yeah. we'd all give ours at once. There are no rules. Mona, just go right. ahead and give your other one, and then we'll just we'll just no. All... I gotta no. I save your I, 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 okay, I right. built okay. it up. I have to yeah. follow through. now. So I went with just like creature comfort. Is that what you call it, Jeff? I can't remember. Uh, guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Music. Thank you. God. <laughs> yes, guilty pleasure. Um, if you're into young adult fiction at all, it's kind of sappy, but it's super Twilight? good. Eleanor and Park. Eleanor and Park. I just read. I just read these books and listened to this music in the last three months. And I read um, Eleanor Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Rowell is really good. It's a little romance thing about two high school students, and it's really well written. Uh, second book I read in the last three months that I think is awesome: The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. And it's a little intense, so warning ahead of time. It's sci-fi. I don't want to give everything away, but it's about Jesuit missionaries who go to an alien planet. And it's super awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's seriously so good. It's well-written. And then the Guilty Pleasure music. I came across a group called Time Cop 1983. And they just specialize in 80s nostalgic feel of really good music. So take take a look and thank me later. Supposedly, there's a movie called Time Cop, but I've never seen it. Yes, it's a good one. It was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Your encyclopedic knowledge never ceases to surprise me. <laughs> when it comes to media? Yeah, totally. <laughs> movies, movies and media, dude, like, I can't, I can't even get on your level and see where you're looking from, you know? Well, that leads me into my recommendations, which if you want to start watching great media, my favorite show right now is Atlanta. It's Donald Glover's new show on FX, and it is amazing. It's this gritty but funny, like, it's it has a feel and a tone unlike anything I've seen on TV, and it is wonderful. The camera work is very cinematic. It just It doesn't feel like a TV show, but also at the same time, it feels very familiar. It is really, really, really good. Really What's it good. called? Atlanta? Atlanta. Atlanta. It's Atlanta. amazing. Cool. With the actor from Angels in the Outfield, right, Jeff? No. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Are you serious or are you joking? See, I'm sorry. I actually was serious for a second. So you're talking about... Donald Glover from Community, not Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> my goodness. Okay, and my other recommendation is a podcast, and it's called Congressional Dish. And I have a really, especially right now, having a very difficult time maneuvering through politics and battling my constant cynicism against the fact that nothing's ever going to get done because everyone is corrupt and horrible, and there's nothing that we can do but just sit back and watch. And this show or this podcast has turned the tide for me. That's how I feel, too. Well... There's Sorry, like I just I had said. a reaction to the things that you said. <laughs> but this this podcast has turned the tide for me and made me feel like there's actually things that I can do. And uh, basically what it is, is this this woman who goes through bills that are up at Congress for voting and breaks down the entire bill. She reads through the entire bill, does this research for like a week or two weeks in a row, and then releases all that information in like a in just a really well done synopsis of everything that's going on. And then all of the links to help you go further, not like a transcript to say like, here's everything and giving you all the answers, but really giving you places to do your own research. And she's amazing. She's, she's great to listen to. She presents this really good information that's outside of the rhetoric of what things are being voted on and the slippery slope mentality and rhetoric that comes from politicians saying, if you vote for this, this will happen. And she strips all that stuff away and just gives you what the bill really is going to do and the impact that it's really going to have on people. And it is really helpful to know that your vote for president may not do anything, but your vote for your congressman and your representatives really do matter when it comes to these things. And it was, it's been good. It's been very inspirational for me. Especially considering she probably does more research than most of the legislators that are voting for Absolutely. She absolutely (laughs) does. And she's not afraid Uh, to give her opinion. She's not afraid to like, to throw her bias in there, but the information she throws in around that is so balanced that you're just like, well, I'll take what she has to say for with a grain of salt, and she's fine with that, and it's great. It's really informative if you're looking for a place to find more information about bills that are being voted on and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. I can't recommend it enough. Congressional Sweet. dish. I'm going to listen to it. 
I uh, that was so like intellectual and like wonderfully presented. I've I feel convinced. And it reminds me that I've been listening a lot to Invisibilia lately. Although it's not like like the episodes, the seasons over, like well over. But if you haven't checked out that podcast, it's super awesome. Um, storytelling about the invisible forces that surround us. Um, a lot of like science and psychology stuff. Uh, very cool. A very, very cool show. So I'll recommend that. And then you guys both gave your recommendations, right? Yep. So I'm, I'm bookending it here with uh, this sweet band that I just discovered and that I am slightly addicted to. Uh, it's got an interesting name. Hiatus Coyote. Now, before you bought this, these, <laughs> I just see in my brain like one of those uh, coyotes on a T-shirt. You know, yeah, it sounds very hipster, but um, they're seriously phenomenal musicians. Like very technical, like art jazz pop. It's very hard to explain, but go listen to it. Uh, and uh, Coyote is spelled with a K A I O T. It sounds ridiculous as I'm, <laughs> but hiatus Coyote, go check them out. They're awesome. Sounds good. You're my favorite blockbuster employee, Mona. Thanks. I'm so that like dorky person with like the weird dirty ponytail who's like, oh man, I know you're going to check out like Lethal Weapon, but uh, here, check out this like art house film that like only five people have rented out in the entire existence of the film, but you're going to love it. Yeah, that's me <laughs> with like Coke bottle glasses because I watch too many movies probably. I think that'll... That'll do it for us this week, and that'll do it for staff picks. If you enjoy what you hear and you'd like to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for the many ways in which you can do that. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. 